Well, I don't like generalities. I don't like grouping people into um, groups, just half people over here, half people over there. But that being said, I believe there are only two kinds of people in this world. Rather, I believe there are only two kinds of cooks in this world. Uh, there are those who insist on making things from scratch and those who don't. The scratch people like to spend all day in the kitchen. They hunt carefully for their ingredients. They spend hours prepping and marinating and preheating, and then they produce a final product worthy of posting on Instagram. And then there's the other category. I'll admit that I find myself in this category. There are those of us who don't think much about food until we get hungry. And then we often think, think things like, I wonder if we have any Hot Pockets left in the back of the freezer. Those of us in this category, uh, we actually do cook, but we don't start from scratch. We feel a little more comfortable starting with a box or a mix or maybe even starting with a takeout menu. And I come from that kind of family, the family where our philosophies seem to be, if God made a mix for that, why would I start from scratch? Praise God from whom all Betty Crocker flows. <laughs> I'm the kind of person who thinks when you tell me that you're making real macaroni and cheese for dinner that you mean real macaroni and cheese from the real blue box <laughs> with the real fluorescent orange powder that you pour over the noodles. Now, my husband Jim, of course, comes from the other kind of family because that's just how marriage works. His family instilled in him the motto, if I can make it from scratch, why would I start with a mix? And when we were first married, I found it bizarre, albeit tasty, that he began making macaroni and cheese with actual cheese. <laughs> it, it was like a whole new world had opened up in our kitchen, and I began to see that things had origins that didn't start with a box from the pantry. He started from scratch with things like biscuits, pizza, ice cream, and bread. Things got a little weird when he started to make his own granola bars. And then I found out he made his own granola. I don't even know, from twigs or something. I don't know <laughs> how you start granola. But this was a tasty new discovery for me. But in terms of a cooking philosophy, we were a house divided. Who were we going to be as a family? Would we spend three hours starting from cheese and noodles, or would we spend 10 minutes or less with Easy Mac with the blue box and the fluorescent orange powder? Who would we be? Um, to mix or to scratch? So we compromised as a family. The obvious answer to our differences was this. If he wanted something made from scratch, he could make it himself. And he does. And I get to be the recipient of all this homemade goodness starting from scratch that comes out of our kitchen. It is the tastiest compromise ever. Well, my favorite excuse for not starting from scratch, or my reason, is that there is no such thing. Did you know that? None of us ever creates from scratch because all the ingredients that we begin with are the result of God's original recipe in the first place. Carl Sagan even said, if you want to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first create the universe. 
I can't make anything from scratch because we cannot make something out of nothing. That is God's job. All of our supposed ingredients are the results of a recipe God finished long ago. You know the recipe. In the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the beginning, creation was a little half-baked at that point. In the beginning, the earth was formless. That means it was shapeless, chaotic. It was void. It was uninhabited or empty. And it was dark, which means, well, it was dark. And this is the first time in Scripture, here in the first two verses of the entire Bible, that we come across God's job description his recipe from which he creates. And this isn't the only time he uses the recipe. In fact, he repeats it again and again. What he does in these first days, he does again and again on our earth. In this moment and today, God began bringing order out of chaos, filling the emptiness, and lighting the darkness. So while God is the only one to have truly started from scratch, he began with a recipe too. He took what was formless, empty, and dark, and he began ordering chaos, filling emptiness, and lighting darkness. And as you know, that last one, that's the one he actually started with. This is where we learn that God really hates darkness because he doesn't do anything else until he's taking care of that. His first act in the universe is to declare, let there be light. Now, don't you love that the first step of creation is to turn on the lights? And in order to do it, God used words. That the creator of the universe was powerful enough to reverse the darkness of all things with just the power of his words. As those who aspire to change the world with the power of our words, we should be inspired and encouraged and elated that God would give us this example, that he could come against the forces of darkness with his words, and that he asks us to do the same. Once he had the lights on, God went about ordering the universe, separating light from dark, water from air, water from land. That's the order the chaos step of this recipe. And then finally, the step where we humans come in, filling the creation with inhabitants, blotting out that emptiness by filling it. It's amazing how meticulous the story of Genesis 1 is, these parallels of meticulous order, that the order of the description in Genesis 1 is mirroring the order of the creation itself banishing the darkness, ordering the habitats, and then filling them with inhabitants. Uh, get this, on day one, God orders the habitats of light and dark. On day four, he fills them with the inhabitants of sun, moon, and stars. On day two, God orders the habitats of air and water. On day five, fills them with the inhabitants of fish and birds. On day three, he orders the separation of the land and the sea. And then finally, on day six, he brings order on the land. And, and finally, he fills that order with inhabitants of animals and us, the humans. What, what a beautiful, orderly, and full recipe this is that God goes about making. Aren't we blessed to live in it? The, the results, as you and I know, the results are breathtaking. 
we know the experience of having our breath taken away by observing these habitats, by looking in awe at the place that God created and gave us to live in. He could have created everything at one elevation, and yet he gave us mountains and valleys and oceans. We know the feeling of being moved to tears by the sight of our loved one's faces, of looking in the beauty of creation that could have been all beige, easily, and yet he made Pantone colors of every color of the rainbow and then some. We know the feeling of realizing just how small we are in the universe by gazing on this creation. It is a beautiful thing. But we also know in this orderly, orderly creation that it has a tendency to slip back into chaos, doesn't it? to slip back into emptiness and darkness, that when sin enters the world, chaos and darkness and emptiness return with a vengeance. Genesis diagnoses this condition for us again and again. It says, when humans are mired in the chaos of sin, uh, that orderly separation of the waters above and the waters below crash back together in a great flood. It says that there are breakdowns of communication as our language is confused and we begin to babble at each other in misunderstanding and confusion and rage and chaos reigns in our relationships. We know that the land is scarred, that relationships are disordered, that families are split apart, that shame and blame cause us to feel divided from each other and ourselves and God. But praise God, he didn't give up on this recipe. He never has and he never will. This creation is his baby and he will carry us to the end. He never abandons his creation. And so that original recipe, it comes back again and again. We see God constantly intervening, ordering the chaos of our own making, filling the emptiness of human loneliness and longing, and lighting the darkness even as humanity flips the switch off again and again. And so as we follow these patterns and plans for God's recreation of creation, finally we come to John 1, which begins as if we are reading the same recipe over again. This was a good one, God seems to say. Let's try it again. So it starts in the beginning. Sound familiar? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Sounds remarkably like Genesis 1 in so many ways, doesn't it? In John 1, God is remaking the creation that he began in Genesis 1, bringing us back to the beginning by bringing his own son to walk among us. And the similarities are striking. All the ingredients are there, a beginning, creation, darkness, light, and the speaking of a word that brings light to the world. Only this time, instead of just speaking a word of light, God himself is the word of light. He walks here with us, showing up in person, showing us what he's been trying to tell us all along. And with each miracle that Jesus performs, each person he touches, each word he speaks, chaos falls into line. 
Emptiness is filled with love and belonging and darkness fades away because the light of the world has come and the darkness cannot overcome it. How, how does God begin the world? With the words, let there be light. How does God renew the world he created by becoming the word that is light itself? This is good news, friends. It's good news for the world, but it is especially good news for us, for those of us who long to remake this world and stand alongside in the new creation. You and I are here in this place because of the power of words. Words build sermons, but words also build ministries. They reach mission fields. They form relationships. Words are missional, whether we know it when we speak them or not. And as part of God's creation, called into being by his words, we don't only get to be the product of his creation, the product of his divine imagination, but we get to participate. You and I are called to be co-creators in this place, alongside God, to participate in that creative imagination that started the universe. And because we are made in the image of the one who did it so well, you and I are invited to the kitchen called to go about using our words, our gifts, our creativity. And there's a lot to learn about this ministry of spoken words. But the first is this, that the purpose of our words is always to light darkness, order chaos, fill emptiness in human souls. If you are in ministry, let me stop and say that if you're not, you are. <laughs> If you're in ministry or dreaming of being in ministry and your words do not call forth order and light and fullness, then I would ask you to question why you speak those words. This is not to say that people are going to stand up and cheer when you use the gift that God has given you to speak. Often, if you follow this model of co-creating with God, you will begin by turning on the lights at a ministry to which you're sent. Now, sometimes that happens very literally. You are the one with the key. You open the building, you turn on the lights. Sometimes it happens more figuratively. You are the speaker of truth, the noticer of people, the calling out person who sees what is truly happening and truly there. And when you light the darkness with your words, it means you're shining the light of the truth, a reality going on in a church or a mission field or a counseling office to which you've been sent. And when you do shine light, the first thing it does is expose chaos that is already there. And people don't always like that. Look at this mess, they'll say. We never had this mess before you got here. When in truth, you just exposed the mess for what it already was. But the lights have to come on the truth has to come to light before God can go about ordering chaos and filling the empty places in people. And friends, this is difficult work. This is no small task. And so we can't take it lightly. Being co-creators with God is not microwave-worthy work. We cannot simply look into the swirling chaos, the starving places in our congregations and our mission fields and offer them a hot pocket. I remember uh, a story back in the 90s of someone inventing the ultimate product for those of us who were afflicted with laziness in the kitchen. 
Their invention were these little pre-made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with the crust already cut off of them. They were called Uncrustables. What a great name. Now, seriously, I don't cook from scratch, but even I am not too lazy to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And Smuckers, the, the company that invented them, even applied for a patent as if it had originated with them. They applied for it and they got it. Smuckers received U.S. patent 6,004,596 for having invented the crustless peanut butter and jelly sandwich. They invented it, or so they said, and they patented it. Now let me tell you, as the parent of a three and six year old, every parent since the beginning of time has invented cutting the crust off of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, just so their kids will eat it. This invention happens in every household with little kids, every day over lunch, in every kitchen. Original, it is not. A patent for cutting the crust off of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I guess that's one way to be a creator. But let's compare this patent with the global impact of that invention that received U.S. patent 223,898 and was given on January 27, 1880. This is the patent that was given to Thomas Edison for the electric light bulb. This patent was the product of a lot of hard work. Edison had tested over 6,000 filaments before he came up with the right material, the right coiled shape that would produce the best light and last the longest. He actually spent much of his life inventing things that would make other people's lives better. He received over a thousand patents in one lifetime. But this is the one that he is best known for. It brought an incredible gift of light to homes and businesses and individuals and entire nations. It changed the way our worlds operate and the hours in which it, we do it. And it is still having a long-lasting effect. We even sit under it today. So take a moment in your mind to compare those two. U.S. patent 223,898,000, the electric light bulb. And U.S. patent 6,004,596, the crustless peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Which one is life-giving, light-giving, and world-changing? Now, back to you. You will get to make this choice every time you preach a sermon, teach a class, sit in a counseling office, Lead a group of people, call forth truth to a mission field. With your words, you get to echo the power of God's words to co-create with him. You get to say with your own breath and in your own voice and in your own way, let there be light. There is no room for darkness in this place. You get to introduce people to those words that only you can speak so that they will hear the light of the world, and it will be tempting instead to entertain them, to fill shallow cravings instead of filling life-giving appetites because you would be cheered and praised for it. And instead of saying, let there be light, to say, let there be crustless peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. The choice will be yours, and people will cheer one or the other 
They will give glory to you or to God based on what you say. But every time you speak these words of hope, whether you're preaching or teaching, counseling or leading, you have the chance to renew a part of God's creation. The old has gone, the new has come to bring order and fullness and light with your words. Let your creativity, your voice, mirror God's creation in its inventiveness, its order, its creativity, its ability to bring light and hope to the world. This is how God creates. In Genesis 1, he uses words to bring light to the world. In John 1, he becomes the word and shines light on the world. The word made flesh. God didn't think it was enough to speak a message to the world, and so he had to come among his people to get his hands dirty. He needed to take on flesh and blood and DNA and embody the words he had been trying to tell us from the beginning. And because of that, our first task in ministry is not recreation, it's incarnation. To become the word, the words that we want people to hear through us. I don't know about you and where you are right now, but I'm going to guess something here. Your life, just taking a shot in the dark here, your life is a little chaotic sometimes. Did I hit that one? You got it? A little chaotic. In fact, those of us in ministry and those of us in the ministry of preparation for ministry, for those of us doing those things, the most chaotic life gets is right before we preach a sermon, write a paper, take a test, run a meeting, lead a people, right before we step into the act of co-creating with God, that chaos sometimes bubbles up inside of us. When we sit with God before the blank page and all the chaos swirls to the surface and says things like, you can't do this. Look at how unworthy you are, how empty of meaning and ability to help anyone when you can't even help yourself you will often feel the most chaotic and empty and dark just before you stand to lead in ministry. And so the hardest work of ministry is sometimes the surrendering of yourself, of asking God to remake and recreate you again when you thought last time was going to be enough, to take the swirling chaos that is in you and to make something useful of it in ministry. Now, to be honest, um, we're approaching the month of May, and For those of you that are students, this is the point in the semester that I get a little concerned about you. For those of you that are professors, I get a little concerned about you in the point of the semester too. But students, sometimes right now you have more papers due than you have days left in the semester. You read so much you can't remember a word that you've read and yet you read some more. You wander past the chapel this direction uh, with a look on your face I've begun describing as library eyes. I don't need to define that one for you. You post statuses like this one on Facebook. It's getting to be that time in the semester when I eat candy for breakfast and spend all my time on BuzzFeed reading about 15 ways to spice up boxed cake. I don't really know what to say about that one. But know that this is one status among many. And friends, there are three weeks left till finals. What happens after candy for breakfast? And at this point in the semester, my ministry instincts, which are very um, 
mixed up with my maternal instincts begin to kick in and I just want to take you all home and put you down for a nap. <laughs> and it makes me want to check on you. Are you sleeping? Are you eating something besides candy for breakfast? It makes me want to feed you, but I don't cook. <laughs> but let me share the good news about this point in our lives, in our world, also filled with chaos. The good news is that coming to the end of yourself at this time is an opportunity for God to come to a beginning. This is the place, friends, the place where we become ingredients, where we surrender ourselves as an ingredient to that original recipe, where we let God work in us, even as we're working to become proclaimers of the word, leaders of the church, where we let the word come and minister light to us. Your life is going to sometimes be a primordial soup that looks more like mess than ministry, a heap of ingredients swimming in chaos and disorder. But this is the place to let the word get into you before you try to deliver it to others. And I wish I could tell you that when you graduate, you'll be full and complete and entirely sanctified. But the truth is that that chaos will swirl again before every sermon you preach every group you lead, every time you present yourself as an instrument of the gospel, you'll feel the tug of emptiness and chaos and disorder, and you'll turn to God to begin again. The story of Genesis 1 is heaven creating earth, and the story of John 1 is heaven stepping into earth. And the story is that where you see chaos, God sees an opportunity for new creation. Some amazing things have been happening in our community, on this campus, in this town, and I'm praying that this is going to be a time when we see the kingdom of God breaking through on earth as it is in heaven. But let me tell you where the beginning is. It starts with chaos, and it starts with us surrendering ourselves, giving up our chaos to God and saying, Make of me what you will. I can't do it on my own. Because of that, the first ingredient of preaching is the preacher herself. The first ingredient of ministry is the minister himself. What we present to God is not just the acts we will do for him in ministry. We present ourselves and let him work in and through even the most dark and chaotic and broken places in us that will be filled for the glory of God. This is the place for the offering of our lives on that great kitchen counter that is the altar of our hearts. This is where God's work begins, right here, beginning with you. This is the place where he orders chaos, fills emptiness, and lights our darkness again. This is the original recipe, God says. This one's good. Let's go back to the beginning and let's make it again. Will you pray with me? Lord, we're grateful that where we see chaos, you see opportunity. We're grateful that when we left you, you did not leave us. We're grateful that even in our mess, you see ingredients for life and order and fullness and ministry. And so, Lord, at this point in our world, in our community, in our campus, at this point in the state of the creation that you made and you love, will you come and begin again? This is your world and you love it.
and so do we. So help us be co-creators with you, and will you work first on us? In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.